Hello there. Welcome, everyone. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We are wrapping up our NFC West preview today uh, with Mookie Alexander from Field Goals, the SB Nation site, uh, similar to our Revenge of the Birds. Um, Johnny is not with us tonight. He's earned some uh, much-needed maternity leave. Uh, I know he didn't do probably as much work as it's done, but he's having to spend some well-needed time with family, so it's just me tonight. And Mookie, how are you doing, sir, on the other end? I'm doing quite well. Thanks for having me on, Blake. Uh, I just cannot wait for the new season to start. It, it's hard to believe. It just felt like the other day the, the Rams were scoring three points in the Super Bowl and all the other NFC West teams were laughing. Yeah, the true words probably haven't been spoken. Um, so let's talk a little bit at least about not, not as much the Rams, but the Seahawks. Uh, the Hawks are definitely in a different spot coming off a 10-6 and six season last year, I believe, with the... Uh, team signing Russell Wilson to a brand new contract. Uh, one of the things I wanted to at least get your thoughts on was there was a lot of departures on the Seahawks side. Frank Clark, KJ Wright were gone to new teams. Cam Chancellor retired. Earl Thomas as well is with a new team. And uh, on the offensive side, at least, Doug Baldwin was a big departure there, along with the Cardinals uh, signing J.R. Sweezy to a two-year deal away from them. What are some of your thoughts on the expectations for uh, this new look defense and in, in a lot of ways a new look Seahawks team. Oh yeah, well one, the, the good news is that KJ at least did uh, have a sign a two year deal, so he is staying. But uh, oh, he did. Everybody that's that's else great. The, yes, and and thankfully so because with, with no KJ right, then he's kind of like the Lance Briggs <laughs> to, to Bobby Wagner being Brian Urlacher. Uh, but the Frank Clark loss is obviously huge, and the, the fact that they traded him away because they didn't want to give him the the big money contract that he wanted. So Kansas City is going to do that instead. Uh, of course, Earl Thomas going to Baltimore. Uh, he has been, for the longest while, the most important piece of Seattle secondary, the Legion of Boom. And, of course, the, the coverage schemes are so different when he's not in the game uh, compared to when he is in the game. And he got injured mm-hmm. two of the last three seasons long-term, broke his leg twice. Uh, so the defense, uh, they ended up with about an, a fairly average ranking last year. You, you could even argue they overachieved given all the talent that they lost just from previous departures, losing Sherman and Chancer two off seasons ago, and then the injuries they suffered during last season. Uh, so this year's defense, they kind of they kind of have to grow up fast, I guess you could say, because there are a lot of young faces in the secondary. Trey Flowers, second year corner, and he's ahead of schedule. He is a, a converted safety into cornerback, hmm. and he ended up being the, the team starting cornerback week one last year because of some injuries. And it was a trial by fire thing. He had his early struggles, but he's uh, he's come along quite well. Shaquille Griffin, uh, third year, pivotal year for him because he had a bit of a down year last year, being fully transitioned into Richard Sherman's old spot, and that uh, that side of the field. Uh, but you have Flowers and Griffin manning the corners. Uh, also lost Justin Coleman this off season, and that's a, mm. a quietly of a, a significant departure because he was Seattle's slot corner. So the race is still on to see who's going to get that spot. Uh, We've still got Jamar Taylor, Akeem King, and uh, Ugo Amadi are all in the running to get that position. The safety spot, a little more complicated because Bradley McDougal could be moving to free safety, take Earl's spot. And McDougal has been rock solid, a great deal uh, by John Schneider to sign him from Tampa Bay. Uh, but the other spot, you got Marquise Blair, rookie from Utah, and he's missed some time with injury. He's, he should be able to play in the, the Oakland Raiders game at least. And uh, Tedrick Thompson uh, is, I guess, kind of drafted to be Earl Thomas's understudy, but in the <laughs> limited action he's seen, uh, which includes a handful of starts the last season, uh, he's certainly been picked on. So 
there are not a lot of incredibly high hopes, I would think, for this Seahawks defense. The linebacker core, though, is as strong as it's ever been. You ha- not only do you have Wright and Wagner, but you have Michael Kendricks uh, pending how, how his sentencing uh, is pending yeah. out the, uh, the insider trading thing. But it looks like if he does serve any time, it'll be after the season's over. And then you have interesting prospects and Cody Barton drafted again out of Utah, much like Marquise Blair. So the linebacker group is sensational, but the, the big question marks are defensive line, especially with Jaron Reed suspended for six games, right. and then the young secondary that, uh, for the most part, uh, was a bit of a liability at times last season. But they did show some glimpses of, of greatness, not to be like the next Legion of Boom, but to kind of create their own trail. No, I think that's really important. Uh, it's good to know, at least. I think, I don't know if that was my brain mixing up uh, Bruce Irvin, at least, with each of those guys. But it, it is something, at least, the Seahawks have been able to do is finding guys to be able to essentially take over when they do see departures of guys going to other teams. Uh, something Cardinals fans have seen struggles with for their team. That's part of why they ended up picking uh, at the number one in the draft. Uh, Let's talk at least a little bit about your quarterback now. The Cardinals' current quarterback was compared a lot to Russell Wilson. Um, Maybe some of that is just the idea of a shorter quarterback with athleticism, a very great deep ball. Uh, Russell Wilson's got a brand new deal. Um, He's being paid at a level that it's totally worth it for him. I know there was some rumors that people had had with the Seahawks. Most of it, obviously, is just the negotiation process. But because of how much Seattle ran the ball last year, his season was incredibly efficient. Do you think that's something that will continue with him this season? Will he end up you know, exceeding his performance last year? Um, or do you think that there's going to be a little bit of recession uh, a bit as far as his stats go? I mean, it's a lot of touchdowns that he threw for last year for the most part, and it's hard to continue seeing a perfect passer rating to Tyler Lockett, at least in my opinion. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting year for the passing game because Wilson, of course, relative to other quarterbacks, barely threw the ball at all. Uh, But as you said, he was incredibly efficient, career high in touchdown passes through only uh, seven interceptions. I believe it was either seven or eight, but whatever the case, a great touchdown interception ratio. Um, and then, yes, Tyler Lockett was his go-to guy, and he kind of has to be this year because with Doug Baldwin retiring, Lockett is by default the top receiver on the team. Uh, but the wide mm. receiving core is vastly different from years past because uh, you got DK Metcalf as a rookie. He might not even play week one because he just had uh, knee surgery, minor right. knee surgery, but week one is a question mark. Then you have David Moore, who is in his third year technically, but he didn't really play in, the, in his first season. He was on the practice squad for a good chunk of it. And then he came on strongly midway through, uh, towards last season, replacing Brandon Marshall, had a bit of a dip at the end of the year, and he's also out for a few weeks uh, with a shoulder injury. So you've got a lot of unproven talents at the wide receiving uh, in, in the wide receiver depth chart. Uh, with Gary Jennings Jr. drafted John Ursua, who's uh, uh, becoming a Seahawks favorite at this point because he looks the part of a Baldwin replacement. And then uh, Jerron Brown, a former Cardinal, uh, there, there's been a lot of talk from Pete Carroll that Jerron Brown could step up and be a number two receiver, which he definitely wasn't that in Arizona. He wasn't even uh, that for Seattle last year. So he, he kind of has to step up in that sense because it looks like Lockett and Brown would be the default one, two. Everybody else has got like one catch combined uh, other than Lockett, Moore and Brown. Everybody else has one combined catch on the roster. So. The chemistry between Wilson and these new receivers is going to be something to look after. Uh, The improved offensive line, I hope, uh, combined with uh, Wilson's improved presence, pocket presence, uh, should lead to another strong year for him. But, um, yes, the the passing game 
it could have been better last year, as, as crazy as it is to, to say after looking at Wilson's numbers. But I feel like we should see a slightly higher volume of passes from Wilson. It's just a matter of maintaining that efficiency. And uh, if he can do that, then we're all going to be ecstatic. But if not, then there are going to be some difficulties, kind of growing pains with the Seahawks offense with so many guys coming in that weren't with the team last year. Yeah, last year with 3,448 yards, 35 touchdowns, 65% completion rating. Uh, what would you, if you had to make a prediction right now for what you'd look at for Wilson's um, statistic, do you think that you would be, you know, similar? Would you go a little bit higher, a little lower? What would be kind of just a, you know, a shot in the dark for what you think his stats may be for this season? I'd say closer to 4,000 yards this time, uh, maybe a dip in touchdowns, because that certainly varies wildly from year to year. But for him, mm-hmm. he's led the league in touchdown passes cumulatively over the last uh, three seasons, I believe. Uh, but, yeah, closer to 30 touchdowns, maybe a slight uptick in interceptions. Again, something that varies wildly. He certainly got away with a few uh, last year that were just dropped or, or kind of good fortune to not get picked off. But still, it, I expect number three to be uh, – proving that he is one of the top quarterbacks in the league, and he's paid as such. He's the highest-paid quarterback in the league, unless somebody overtook him within the last few minutes. I I don't think so. (laughs) Uh, Not at least according to my timeline. So uh, let's talk a bit about running the football because the Seahawks did a great job of running the football last year. I know a lot of people, especially the – kind of some of the Seahawks Twitter and analysts and a lot of the stats geeks out there were – uh, is to their chagrin, but Arizona really struggled to stop the run last year. It was kind of the cure-all for whenever you were team coming in. Hey, this team's coming in 32nd and rushing the football. They'd play Arizona and suddenly you'd get 200 yards on the ground. So the Cardinals are not seeming to be completely fixed in that area. There's potentially room for improvement. We've seen them struggle in their first two preseason games and look to be a little bit improved in the last preseason game and then give up an 85-yard touchdown as well. So they were 32nd against the run. Most people are hoping that they'll get at least a little bit higher enough to stop the bleeding. But what are kind of the ideas as far as for how Seattle is going to run the football this year? We know that they've got Chris Carson's expected to start at running back. But what would be kind of the idea for this year, whether it's with just the rushing attack or even with the scheme uh, under the coordinator in Schottenheimer, at least? Are they going to run the ball more? Are they trying to run the ball better? What is kind of up with Seattle in stopping the run? And if you were the Cardinals, how would you try to go about stopping Seattle? Yeah, good question. Well, yeah, the Seahawks, they were terrible running the ball 2016 and 2017. So it was kind of like Pete Carroll's personal mission to get the running game back on track. And needless to say, that's what happened. It was a slow start the first couple of weeks. They didn't run the ball well at all. But from week three onward, they were outstanding. Now, fortunately, it disappeared at the worst possible time in the playoff game against the uh, Dallas Cowboys. But you know, Dallas has got a very good defense, and usually good defenses can uh, at, at least play even with off- with really good offenses. So uh, the Seahawks running back situation, Chris Carson clearly the, the top back, and he's not Marshawn Lynch, but he's got some Lynch-like tendencies, and that's why uh, fans love him so much because he, he finishes runs so well. He's powerful. Uh, he's got some good moves in the open field. He's not a home run hitter. He's not going to get you 40, 50-yard runs in, in, in a single shot. But um, he's consistent, and I think that's what uh, fans like most about Carson. Rashad Penny, um, he had his ups and downs as a rookie. Uh, He's presumably going to be Carson's backup unless something changes dramatically. Um, Through preseason, one of the frustrations with Penny, unfortunately, and I guess there's extra scrutiny with him being a first-round pick, it seems like he's very Mm -hmm. hesitant behind the line of scrimmage. So that Mm -hmm. leads to a lot of short gains, no gains, or immediate loss uh, of yards on the play. So... And he's also 
been quite easy to tackle. He's not been one to, mm. to go th- go through runners. He, he's been ankle tackle quite a bit, so it's still a learning process for Penny. So yeah, I expect Carson to get the lion's share of carries. Penny certainly does better in open space. So mm-hmm. one of the things that we noticed in the Seattle game against Arizona in Arizona last year was that Penny did better when they gave him the ball out wide, you know, toss oh, plays, yeah, yeah. You know, as opposed to just shotgun run up the middle. Uh, that's much more Carson speed than anything else. Third running back spot is a question mark because C.J. Proceis, who's been oft injured, uh, had a great showing against the Chargers in their last preseason game. Mm-hmm. And he seems to have the inside track on being the uh, the third down back, if you will, because they lost Mike Davis to the Chicago Bears uh, in the offseason. So the, the Seahawks running game, I think it will be fine. Brian Schottenheimer loves to uh, loves to use a, a variety of runs, those those big you know, run up the middle. The toss plays with Penny. Uh, read option, of course, is something that we, we we've seen a ton over the years. Not just with Schottenheimer, but with uh, with Daryl Bell, with the previous offensive coordinator. I'd certainly like to see Russell Wilson uh, keep the ball more often than he has in in recent years. But that might be you know due to just preserving Wilson more. Uh, as for how Arizona's defense can exploit uh, Seattle's rushing game, that that is a tough question. Uh, but the, what the Dallas Cowboys did last year, uh, just stifling Carson and, and exploiting the uh, the guards in particular uh, with, with DJ Fluker and J.R. Sweezy, they had tremendous success on that front. Uh, but Arizona's defensive line, certainly as good as Chandler Jones is, everybody else I don't think uh, necessarily matches up with, with Dallas. So um, there right. are ways to stop the Seahawks' rushing attack. But um, just the way that 2018 just turned the fortunes around, I'm pretty optimistic that as much as we get on Brian Schottenheimer for the, the lopsided run-pass ratio, uh, the running game is going to work. It's just we don't want to see square peg in a round hole and, and <laughs> running on downs when they should be throwing, like running on second and ten consistently over passing on second and ten. So otherwise, it, it, it reaches a level of predictability that uh, is probably something else that Arizona or, or other defenses could exploit because they love to disproportionately run the ball on early downs. Yeah, I was going to say, Arizona fans are very familiar with that. It was the, uh, I think there was graphics that were posted of how often they would just run David Johnson up the middle on first down and then second down, and then there'd be third and long, and their quarterback and Josh Rosen would take a sack. It was to the point of predictability. There was almost kind of like you'd feel like you were going insane. So that's what I know Seahawks fans don't want for this season. I think I agree with you that I don't think that we're expecting that, but you obviously want it to be in a case where you're being more optimal for uh, – uh, for the statistics. Speaking of with the statistics, there's a lot of, whether it's fantasy or stats gurus, speaking of this idea of running the ball, having the, the different plays, trying to go for this optimal offensive play calling. With Cliff Kingsbury coming into Arizona, the Seahawks are still running that cover three. Again, the talent is maybe not what it was under the Legion of Boom, but it's still no slouches we've seen. We still have guys back there like Shaq Griffin, um, and uh, the two Shaq Griffins, I should say, as well. Um, with the Cardinals coming in, they're probably going to have a lineup of rotating wide receivers, maybe a little less tight end usage, still throwing to the running backs, but it's mostly going to be the Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk show. They just signed Michael Crabtree, who is, of course, an NFC West long, long-term guy. Of course, his two biggest rivals are no longer on the uh, the Niners of the Seahawks, but, or I should say no longer with the Seahawks, but on the Rams now and the Niners with Richard Sherman in San Francisco. How would you go about attacking the Seahawks defensive backs if you were Cliff Kingsbury? This is going to be an offense that 
a lot of people aren't sure what they're going to get. Either it's going to be wildly impressive or massively disappointing for the most part after week one. And it's going to be one of the first games of the season going up week four against the Seahawks. How would you go about trying to attack Seattle's defense, um, whether it's using the air raid concepts or even other things that you've seen in past games or past teams that have worked against Seattle? Oh, interesting that the Cardinals signed Michael Crabtree because uh, those Arizona-San Francisco matchups are suddenly a lot more intriguing to see if Crabtree is going to be lined <laughs> up against Sherman again. Oh, and Akeem Tlaib, don't forget, you got the chain coming back against the Rams game too. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah they it's going to be two times a year. <laughs> they they got to flex those games into Sunday night as yeah. far as I'm concerned. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, with, with Seattle's secondary, I think we're going to see some different schematic play calling from Ken Norton Jr. because of Earl Thomas's departure because – let, let's face it, the odds of Tedrick Thompson or Bradley McDougal being able to operate the same way as Earl Thomas are, are slim and none. Sure. But uh, one, one interesting thing out of 2018, and if you look at this from football outsiders for more advanced statistics, Seattle was outstanding at defending the slot receiver position. But when it went out wide, they were near the bottom of the league. So that's something that Arizona can certainly exploit, especially hmm. if it comes to single coverage, because of the lack of pass rush that we've seen the Seahawks generate through preseason thus far and what's going to be projected into this season, uh, we've seen a lot of linebacker blitzes and, and wow. zone blitzes. And we're seeing Bobby Wagner and K.J. Wright and Michael Kendricks trying to get to the quarterback as quickly as they can. And one of the risks you run with that is, of course, DBs are out in single coverage and you have somebody like Jacob Martin, who's usually a pass rusher, covering a running back. And that's mm. not ideal whatsoever. Uh, and just historically, one of the things that the Seahawks have, have struggled with, and particularly against a team like, say, the, the Chargers, uh, those quick hitters, those underneath passes, Seattle's very willing to concede those. And uh, against uh, the Phillip Riverses of the world, uh, they just pick those those quick passes apart, find the, uh, the holes in the zone, and uh, are, are able to march down the field on a very consistent level. New England, of course, had some success with that uh, in pretty much all three meetings, but the Super Bowl, the end of the Super Bowl, was uh, the most obvious. So with Cliff Kingsbury, of course, he's got the air raid offense. I think a lot of Sean McVay's concepts uh, have had, obviously, tremendous success against Seattle, as evidenced by the points they've scored in each of the last three games. Uh, crossing patterns, in particular, uh, those play-action bootlegs, ironically, because Seattle loves those play-action bootlegs, but those play-action crossing patterns down the middle of the field, uh, mm. Seattle thus far has had not much of an answer for. So I hope to see an adjustment on that front. But Kingsbury, I don't know whether he's going to be a good head coach or not, but what we've seen from him in college is that he's a very good offensive mind. And there's been much resistance to the idea of, oh, college, these college head coaches with these, these innovative concepts, this is not going to work in the NFL. Well, there's innovation happening all the time. So with Kingsbury having such a dynamic quarterback, Kyler Murray, and the receiving core for Arizona, I think, is still very good. Larry Fitzgerald is a legend, one of my favorite players of all time. Mm -hmm. And I think Christian Kirk, and I've seen some of what Andy Isabella has done in, in preseason, and that's pretty impressive. Uh, Arizona's offense does have potential to be uh, at least much more entertaining to watch than the uh, the Mike McCoy era, which didn't even last <laughs> a, a full season, did it? Oh no, I, it was so fun when you're watching in camp. You're like, all right, well they're you know throwing the ball to David Johnson. They're having an interesting kind of rushing attack, and all the plays that you saw in preseason just went away in the regular season. And yeah, it was one of the uh, one of the kind of more tragedies. It led to the number one pick, of course, and a lot of changes. But uh, it's interesting. The name that I know has been hot in Arizona has been Keyshawn Johnson, who's the sixth round rookie, very technical route runner. It's almost kind of like the the one way I know of some people have described him is it's like uh, if Doug Baldwin played a little bit more outside, given 
you know, he's not the fastest or most athletic guy, but he's such a technician that he's kind of already become almost a safety valve for Murray. And I do think that you're right, is it'll be an interesting matchup given Murray loving to attack the outside going deep, um, not throwing over the middle as much. But we'll see how much of the mesh offense and some of those crossing routes come in. I know Seahawks fans have seen those crossing routes almost ever since Russell Wilson has uh, been in the league, it seemed. Um, we, we, we talked about the running backs, so let's talk a little bit about um, the NFC West in general is just very unique in terms of when it comes to the Seahawks. You take a look at the all-time record in the NFC West. Um, Seahawks essentially have the lead on each team, 23-19 against the Rams, 25-16 against the uh, Niners, and then against the Cardinals, it was always split. In fact, it was almost like a tradition for the most part under Bruce Arians where uh, the Cardinals would win in Seattle and most often, and the Seahawks would win at home in Arizona, and occasionally they would win the game in Seattle too as well. And uh, when the Cardinals did lose to Seattle, it was kind of the final straw for Steve Wilkes. Um, I don't know if that was just kind of a joke about the expectation of, all right, couldn't beat the Seahawks in Seattle, we're, we're done here. But talk a little bit about, do you think that it's something about the Seahawks that makes other teams bring their best in the division? Is it just divisions in general it feels like for a lot of fans watching that with the two Super Bowls and then ever since it's just been a slugfest that's taken place when it's pretty obvious Seattle's had you know the best quarterback and has been the class of the division the last few years up until you know 2017 on when the Rams and Jared Goff have taken over what do you think it is about the Hawks that seems to get people geared up so much for them how much of it is them in the 12s or is it just the team in general yeah, it's interesting the way the NFC West has played out because, first of all, when it, whenever Seattle plays at Arizona, I am so fearful that something bad is going to happen because even when they win, something mm. catastrophic happens, like Earl Thomas's injury yeah. or Cam Chancellor's injury or Richard Sherman's injury or, or, or something else that happens crazy like the 6-6 tie and, and Hauschka <laughs> missing from point-blank range. And uh, Don't remind me, it, that was it, the it, worst game I've ever watched in my <laughs> life, and I was like, all right, well. There's a Seahawks win and the Seahawks miss, and you're like, I, I feel empty. It's, 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 there was this hollow feeling. <laughs> and, it's, and it's preceded the Wilson era. I remember the early years where Seattle was winning the NFC West regularly, and Arizona was not, not a very good team at all. And, and a couple of times, Seattle ended up losing to, to a Matt Leinert-led Cardinals squad. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, of course, when Arizona took over 2008, 2009, and the Seahawks were bad, then it was Arizona's time to shine. So uh, the, the NFC West was sort of the laughingstock of the NFL decade ago. That's why Seattle was able to win the division at 7-9. and nine. But uh, at present, it's very competitive. It's quite fun. Uh, just the way this division is set up now, it's kind of uh, fascinating to see because you have these, these quote, new-style offensive minds with Kyle Shanahan and, and uh, Cliff Kingsbury and Sean McVay. And then there's mm-hmm. Pete Carroll who wants to do things the old-fashioned way, which is, quote-unquote, establish the run and stop the other team's running game. And, and kind of make the game a lot slower. So when you see the Seahawks play in these divisional games, there's, there is certainly an extra intensity. Like the, the San Francisco 49ers under Jim Harbaugh, to me, Seattle-San Francisco rivaled Baltimore-Pittsburgh in terms of just yeah. sheer physical play, the intensity of those games. You could sense it. That, that's something that uh, I don't think analytics can uh, quantify in any way, but it, it felt like the hits were, were much more uh, fierce out there. Uh, kind of like you know, like Pittsburgh and Oakland. That's not a divisional rivalry, but just a general NFL rivalry from back in the '70s. So, and Arizona, they've been, of course, it's a small market team, and it's not the world's largest fan base. And and obviously, we see that when 
so many teams end up having a good chunk of their fans in Arizona Stadium, but it's <laughs> yeah. not an easy place to play. And when the Cardinals are good, it's a very loud stadium. And it, very rarely do you see Arizona, you know, last year was just kind of an aberration. I think they'll be much better down the line. Uh, but Arizona, when they went into Seattle and won in 2013, uh, to give Russell Wilson his first ever home loss and give themselves a chance of making the playoffs. That felt like a bit of a changing of, of, of Arizona's fortunes. And they be, they've since become a major player, made the playoffs a couple of years in a row and, and mm-hmm. challenged San Francisco when, when San Francisco was one of the top teams in the league. Uh, even the Cardinals-Rams, uh, when Jeff Fisher was going 7-9 and nine every year, uh, the, the Rams-Cardinals wasn't that bad, bad television viewing whatsoever. Um, but the NFC West, it, it certainly doesn't get as much attention as, say, the NFC East, where mm-hmm. Cowboys-Giants is the default week one matchup. Uh, but regardless of the quality of teams from top to bottom, uh, there's certainly, you know, the cliche is, there, there are no easy division games. And I think that certainly rings true for the NFC West, uh, and, and especially with the results that Arizona has managed to get in Seattle. Even last year, a- Arizona was terrible, and they still took Seattle to a last-second kick. In, yep. in in that Century Link field, so you, you can't take. I was these twice. Games I remember the, the uh, it was it wasn't that it was a last second kick, but Arizona was you know holding Seattle well pretty much for a lot of it, and then Russell Wilson makes some amazing play on the sideline, and then the Seahawks end up taking the lead and never look back. But it's it's always been a struggle between those teams. <laughs> yeah, it has, and uh, it, it, like even the game with Ryan Lindley starting a quarterback, <laughs> you. you it's easy to forget that was a four, despite the statistical dominance of the Seahawks, it was a 14-6 game up until yep. the fourth quarter. So we see these games when they are worth putting on primetime. I think we are going to see at least two of the four NFC West teams in playoff contention. So those games to me are just going to be appointment viewing, whether it's Seattle and, and Los Angeles or Seattle and San Francisco, San Francisco, Los Angeles. They're all very interesting matchups to be. Or, of course, Arizona's got to be. They can't be totally discounted. I know the expectation is they're going to be at the very bottom of the league, but you never know what Cliff Kingsbury is going to dial up. And Vance Joseph might have been a disaster in Denver, but he certainly is, is a capable defensive coordinator. And uh, I'll be intrigued to see how he handles that Cardinals defense given the, the the losses in the secondary, the Patrick Peterson suspension, and I think mm. Robert Alford is gone for a while with injury. Yep, that's indeed the case. They are uh, kind of in a little bit thin as far as with the linebacker. They've had injury to the starter too, so it's been it's been kind of a rough off season as the team had all sorts of positions to fill in, and then they seem to lose about four starters in the span of uh, outside of Peterson, the span of about a week or so. It seems so. Uh, it'll be uh, definitely something to watch. I know the way that you described. Uh, how Seahawks fans felt about Cardinals fans is how we really felt about Rams fans. We counted, I think, at least four quarterbacks who've suffered either concussions or injuries uh, to the Seahawks, or, or at least four times in three quarterbacks. Uh, that does include, obviously, Carson Palmer's last game that he played in the NFL was against the Rams. So uh, just know that it's not you guys alone who are having to deal with this. Cardinals fans have had uh, NFC West issues with other teams as well. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, I, I want to kind of wrap up at least this portion before we get kind of the, to the fun part at the end of looking at who the Seahawks are going to be using and how they're going to defend Kyler Murray. You talked a bit about how Pete Carroll's wanting to have tempo, working on stopping the run. Cliff Kingsbury, it's going to be a really interesting test because he's probably going to not necessarily throw it, you know, like 60 times a game and run the ball 10 times. It's more going to be a shift of 
trying to go with the up-tempo of trying to use the passing attacks and the plays. And when you're talking about, you know, the, the outside and then the uh, even trying to put coverage on a running back like a David Johnson, as far as a mismatch goes, talk a bit about your defense, especially your defensive line. You've got a new first-round pass rusher in LJ Collier. I like Puna Ford a lot as a prospect. Cassius Marsh, at least, I know has been decent. And Ziggy Ansah, as far as his health, I, I don't know of any updates that are there. But if you talk a bit about just who are the pass rushers, at least for Seattle, going to be? I know you talked about it being a, a weak position. But if you were the Seahawks, how would you try to at least go and defend at least the Kyler Murray and this Cliff Kingsbury attack with how Seattle is in place based on, you know, your own experience of a mobile quarterback who's a little bit smaller in Russell Wilson. Yeah, well, with Ziggy Ansah, the good news for the Seahawks is it looks like he's on track to play week one. Uh, he did have that shoulder surgery, but uh, he has since come back. He, he started practicing again, so he's on course to be there week one, which is really a, a sigh of relief because this position in particular has been decimated with injuries and then departures like the Frank Clark trade. So LJ Collier is on the mend. He's probably not going to play week one. He had some sort of odd high ankle sprain suffered in training camp. Uh, so that's unfortunate because that's yet another Seahawks early round pick who ends up getting injured during training camp or at some point in the offseason. Uh, Puna Ford, absolutely love him. But I think he's going to be more of a, of a run-stuffing defensive tackle than he is a pass rusher. Jaron Reed, to me, is the, is the key here. And, of course, he's suspended for the first six games, so he's going to miss that Cardinals game uh, in, in Arizona. But he had double-digit sacks last year, and he only had one-and-a-half sacks per season the first two seasons he was in the league so we just had a massive jump in his ability to provide an interior rush and i think an interior rush is going to be one of the better ways to uh to fluster kyler murray uh and at least get him out of the pocket and and have him hurt you know in a situation where he's got to hurry some of his throws and potentially make uh, some classic rookie mistakes but seattle's defensive line uh is certainly not it, this is not the era of michael bennett and cliff averill and chris clemens or clinton mcdonald or brandon bebane uh this is a makeshift defensive line and there are not a lot of proven pass rushers here Ziggy Ansah when healthy was a very consistently successful pass rusher with the Detroit Lions but everybody else has a question mark we don't know if Jaron Reed's 10 and a half sack year last year was a, a one-off mm. um, and then of course we don't we're not going to see him until mid-October LJ Collier as a rookie has had no time to, to even get live game reps yet uh, Puna Ford as I said more likely going to be a, a run-stuffing defensive tackle. He's, he's such a fun player to watch. Rasheem Green has missed much of last season with injury mm -hmm. and has failed to make any bit of an impact thus far. But it's still early days. He's in his second season, but he seems to be a liability in run defense and unable to generate a consistent pass rush. Then you have Quentin Jefferson, Brandon Jackson, who's a roster bubble guy at this point. Cassius Marsh is probably making the 53-man roster. I, I'd argue he's definitely making the 53-man roster, coming off his best season in San Francisco. And uh, he, he was playing quite well in Seattle as a rotational pass rusher uh, before he was traded to New England. So um, I think there's still hope for Marsh as kind of a rotational guy. Same with Jacob Martin. Jacob Martin is your speed rusher, your classic speed rusher. He could end up being kind of in that Leo position. Uh, and what he lacks in power, he makes up with just pure quickness. Uh, but, yeah, one of the, the issues for the Seahawks is where is that pass rush going to come from? And if the defensive line can't generate it with just rushing four, then you have to add in some you know, creative blitzes. So whether that involves the linebackers or whether it involves nickel blitzing. I, mm -hmm. I forgot to mention that Ken Norton has been doing a lot of blitzing with his nickel corners, whether it's Amadi or Jamar Taylor. And uh, it's a new wrinkle because 
when Earl Thomas was with the Seahawks and a regular part in, in doing every snap of the game, Seattle would almost never blitz him. And when they hmm. did, there was some sort of busted coverage guaranteed. So without Earl, without Earl Thomas, the blitz has got to be a little bit different. And hopefully they don't have to rely on it. Because if they do rely on it, then great quarterbacks are going to pick that apart day after day after day. So the key for Kyler Murray is... Uh, can he handle an interior rush? You know, rushers mm-hmm. coming right in his face, and uh, and and just can he stay composed when it's a, a clean pocket and when he's rushing for, or when somebody's chasing? Because I know Murray is fast, but uh, I, I certainly saw in the Vikings game that uh, some of the Vikings defensive linemen were able to to get to him and stop some of those read option plays. But you know, Kyler Murray has been talked about so much that I hope he doesn't uh, struggle in his first couple of seasons because it, there's a lot of media hype surrounding him and Baker Mayfield and it, it's interesting that they've been getting the, the Russell Wilson comparisons because mm-hmm. I think we're just waiting for one to actually work. They, they, they tried Johnny <laughs> Manziel's comparison with Russell Wilson, that didn't work. Marcus Mariota has a taller Russell Wilson, that's not panned out. So now you've got Mayfield and uh, Murray and Mayfield so far, early signs looking great for the Cleveland Browns uh, for Murray, that's a question that's still yet to be answered but um, I, I certainly think that Arizona has uh, the Josh Rosen trade is certainly going to be something that is hotly debated for a while, especially if Rosen pans out mm-hmm. in Miami. But uh, I don't think you necessarily turn down somebody like Kyler Murray. You, we can forget about the height thing as much as that's been discussed to death, as long as he can play. And he's certainly an accurate thrower uh, at a college level, at a professional level. If Kingsbury can get him the looks that he's he's, he's been getting in college and kind of scheming guys open, which is kind of the in thing to do for great offensive minds, then I think mm-hmm. he'll do just fine. And against the Seahawks, though, of course, I wanted to get sacked nine times a game, intercepted eight <laughs> times. Uh, but that's going to be easier said than done because Seattle has had issues uh, generating interceptions on a consistent basis, even with the Legion of Boom uh, in, in full strength over the last couple of years. So uh, to answer your original question, pass rush, big question mark, and something that uh, if it doesn't work out and they do end up blitzing more, then it, there could be some disaster there. But I... I I gotta hope for the best. Yeah, I was gonna say that's gonna be that's gonna make these games really uh, part of why I think I'm more intrigued for Seahawks Cardinals than maybe any of the other division games is because of the weaknesses and strengths how they match up. Especially like you know if Murray's gonna get blitzed and run, is that gonna be something that he ends up still performing on the run, or is it gonna be running for his life? And just this old school versus new school type of approach is going to be uh, definitely fascinating. I know. I'll, a lot of people looked at the idea of hiring a failed college coach who had, you know, left their program, uh, and Cliff Kingsbury at least, um, maybe similar even at the time to when Pete Carroll was kind of run out of USC. Now, granted, Carroll had a national championship too, <laughs> yeah, a little bit different from Kingsbury's type of situation for the most part, but there's uh, a lot to look forward to at least over here. So what would be your projection for the Seahawks as far as kind of a range for a win total? What would be your expectations and obviously we're not assuming anything uh, disastrous happens i, I mean the uh, the cardinals fans last year our biggest thing we were excited about was how good our punter andy lee was doing which i know was something <laughs> seahawks fans have a lot of uh you know fun fun um uh, fun looking at you know the praises of michael dixon at least so it's going to be at least a punting battle if nothing else in arizona and hopefully these teams have their kickers figured out so it's not a six and six but what would be your uh, overall kind of win range that you would look at for Seattle as far as expecting for 2019? I think the floor would be six wins, meaning that 
basically the Seahawks, wow. the, t- the talent drain ends up being just too much for Seattle to handle. And mm-hmm. then the new crop is, is unable to, to, to cope and, and learn as quickly as the previous generation of Seahawks did, uh, did j- j- just kind of on the fly and, and so quickly. But uh, I think the ceiling, if the offense continues to be top 10, if they find ways to be more efficient, if they can get that run-pass ratio to be more optimal, more efficient, more geared towards the modern game, uh, they can certainly be an 11-12 win team c- competing with the Los Angeles Rams and the other contenders in the NFC. Uh, you, you can't count out a team with Russell Wilson at quarterback. You, you just can't. He's, he's proven so much. He sil- certainly silenced a lot of uh, critics, including myself. I was uh, one of the Wilson doubters that first half of the year, and then the Chicago game happened, uh, the infamous overtime win, and I've been sold ever since. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know, the Seahawks have got a great coach, Pete Carroll, uh, as much as we can bemoan his uh, his philosophy relative to what the end thing is right now, the NFL, his track record is undeniable at this point. And uh, he does a good job historically of getting uh, the most out of not just guys with tangible talent that we've seen in the draft in the first couple of rounds, but also the, the hidden gems, the undrafted free agents like the Doug Baldwins mm-hmm. of the world. And we hope that can continue with, uh, the, with the Seahawks. Like Puna Ford's an undrafted free agent. Uh, John Ursua, who I hope makes a team as kind of a Baldwin replacement. He's a seventh-round pick. They traded back into the draft to get him. Trey Flowers is a fifth-round pick. So you don't always need this horde of picks at, at the first and second round to succeed. And the Seahawks have been able to do it their way for so long. And it, it says a lot that you're kind of spoiled with the amount of success that the Seahawks have had over the last few years, that 9-7 and seven and a failure to make the playoffs two seasons ago, hmm. mostly because of Blair Walsh, felt like the end of the world. And last year, we saw how many pundits were picking the Seahawks to just completely crater and that this is their plunge into being an irrelevant team. And they proved pretty much everybody who said that wrong by going 10 and 6. So I would be surprised if the Seahawks ended up just dropping out three, four, five wins. There is a possibility that because of the difficulty of that schedule, that they mm-hmm. end up, uh, you know, ha- having a lot of the, the bad breaks go against them. But at a minimum, they should be at least an average team, you know, it's somewhere in the playoff race by December. Yeah, I was going to say, usually your quarterback, at least as we've seen, can be the biggest differentiator between, you know, winning or non-winning season. Um, Andrew Luck, I know we didn't touch as much about this recently, retired. He's kind of the last and greatest standing quarterback from that uh, 2012 draft class uh, outside of, you know, Super Bowl winning quarterback Nick Foles, which is still strange to think about this at the time as a a fan of the Arizona State Sun Devils rival to his college team, but um, yeah, it is something at least for Seahawks have been able to keep churning year after year. The Cardinals have had a lot of turnover, mostly due to uh, aging quarterbacks over the last decade and haven't been able to find nearly as many undrafted gems um, as far as the Seahawks have seen. And they've had similar first-round rookie success rates, unfortunately, too. So I'm looking forward to this year. I do agree that it, it's really going to be interesting because I don't know which way the football falls. I think if the, it really, in my opinion, may depend on if the rest of the NFC West, including the Niners and Cardinals, both pick up their game and the Rams stay consistent. That, to me, is probably the biggest thing that will make it really tough for um, for the Seahawks. It's the same thing that goes for Rams, too. All right, let's go ahead, and we're going to move into kind of the last part and wrap up um, just with our show with a little bit of uh, whether it's just kind of some playful banter or just kind of a couple of playful jabs for the most part. Uh, what would be kind of either some jokes that you've either heard about Seahawks fans uh, or ones that, you know, you've made about Cardinals fans? I've got a few that at least that I either came up with or have been able to find, but uh, what are some of the best ones that you can uh, think of at least from a, from a Seahawks fan perspective? Well, 
the joke is the fact that they call themselves the 12s. Now, due to the copyright situation, they can't say we're the 12th, 12th man anymore. <laughs> oh, they got to say right. we, we are 12, which just sounds wrong. It, it just oh, sounds wrong. Gosh. It sounds almost childish on multiple levels. That feels like a joke <laughs> in itself. The other common joke is uh, Seahawks fans weren't really – they didn't really exist prior to the 2012 season, uh, which is, of course, when Russell Wilson came aboard and then they started winning mm-hmm. games again. But, you know, they get offended by it. But, of course, I've been a fan of this team for, uh, for 15 years now. And you can listen to some of the early Seahawks games at CenturyLink Field, or back then it was called Quest Field. And 2002, 2003, no, it wasn't as loud and boisterous as, a, as it is now. So it, there's certainly some validity to it. But no, the Kingdom was certainly loud back in the 1980s when they had that previous crop of uh, success. But yeah, I can understand why the joke is made. Uh, I don't hear too many jokes about Cardinals fans, although I will say before yeah, you that's, called Yeah, that's me, a good thing to say at least about that because that's usually the biggest joke you make about it. Like, you're a Cardinals fan? I didn't know that those existed. <laughs> exactly. That was exactly the joke. I was going to say, are you, sure you, uh, are you sure you weren't talking about baseball? Like, oh, the St. Louis Cardinals. Well, that's not up my alley, unfortunately. But uh, uh, it, it's certainly great, great that uh, University of Phoenix Stadium, or whatever it's called now, State Farm Stadium? Yeah, State Farm Stadium, I think. Yeah. It's, think of it as Seattle's uh, vacation vacation home. <laughs> that's a good one and that's that's great because that's one thing i know we've complained about is how arizona is the state of all of the snowbirds from every other place um, we even had seattle fans who visited and it was the funniest thing they walked into a supermarket back when i was in high school working there at the time and i took a look at the alcohol prices we're like holy crap like we need to bring all of this back with us and so they would start bringing it all back to seattle just because of the different prices um, i know that some one of the jokes i know that people talk about just with seattle in general is seattle described by seattle people as like the greatest city in the world that no one really wants to live there <laughs> well that's the, why uh, i stopped living the there yeah exactly that's that's kind of the point um one that i remember was that uh, my, my favorite one that i uh, came up with at least recently just because i had to think about in advance was um how are the seattle seahawks like a millennial it's because they can't pick up a yard and i was just thinking <laughs> oh like cleaning the yard. uh this bad Bad, bad joke, I know, at least for that one. Um, the Cardinals one I know that they have, at least for us, is um, we talk about anything with Santonio Holmes, obviously, the Super Bowl, or especially just how um, I think some, someone even said a joke last week where they were like talking about, hey, if you get married, you've got more rings than Larry Fitzgerald, and that was, a, that was <laughs> one that cut to my heart. <laughs> Poor guy just has been in the league so long. Still hasn't gotten a ring, and now he's got two rookie quarterbacks, so... Yeah, well, well, the sad joke is the number of quarterbacks Larry Fitzgerald has had to play with. Oh, in gosh. fact, I, didn't he didn't he throw a touchdown pass last year? If they didn't yeah, draft did. Kyler Murray, they might as well just move to Fitzgerald to quarterback. He would have been at the, about the age that they would have normally had those quarterbacks at too, with Kurt Warner and with Carson Palmer. Oh, that's great for that one. Well, yeah, the joke, only other joke for the oh, Cardinals gosh. would would be the mm-hmm. Jeff Blake era. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, ouch. I was going to say, I really have wanted to meet like a Jeff Blake just so I can get a picture with like him in the jersey with the back, at least because now they have a Zach Allen and a Byron Murphy, and then that, that would complete my whole name. Um, <laughs> last joke <laughs> last joke that kind of wraps up, at least that I had, was um, uh, I think it was Brian Schottenheimer. You know that he only uses email because he has no idea where his receivers are. <laughs> That was like the that one. I was like, but then I realized that it didn't work because most people don't most people don't know what a receiver is these days just because of the advent of cell phones. So it's a, it's just time has changed so quickly, man. I mean, just last just last uh, what was it? Last three years ago, Cardinals were one win away from the Super Bowl, and you know, now they got the number one pick. Things change quick in the NFL. 
Yeah, that's why you can just because you were good last year doesn't mean you're guaranteed for success the next year. Uh, it's a lot different in the NBA or the NHL or, or even Major League Baseball where there's a good chance you got you got your clear favorites on a consistent basis that are going to be in the playoffs or in playoff contention. But the NFL, it just takes a couple of injuries. It's a small margin of error relative to those other leagues, and you can be at 12 and four last year and then three and 13 in the laughing stock of the league the next year. And of course, you could have your quarterback unexpectedly retire, or I guess. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, or go choose to play baseball. That's been kind or of the biggest to... joke. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, if that does happen, that would be one of the most Arizona Cardinals things ever. Maybe he gets, <laughs> he gets sacked on opening day by, by Snacks Harrison, one of the Lions uh, defensive ends, and he decides to book a flight to Oakland to play for the Athletics. <laughs> uh, that's going to be really fun. Yeah, he hasn't signed like any baseballs, refuses to talk about it. It's, it's interesting. I was going to say now we're uh, two fans of team that have five, ten quarterbacks who play baseball, and so hopefully our, our quarterback has at least a, a modicum of the success that yours has had over the last few years. Well, everybody That'll, seems to be joining uh, the Athletic uh, in the journalism field, so ooh. Kyler Murray could have an announcement any day now saying why I'm joining uh, yeah. the Athletics. I was about to say, yeah, that's that would be the, uh, the almost like the Kevin Durant as far as for like my next chapter type of a move at least for that. So though we've seen we've seen all of them. The fun one at least is that's been at least I think uh, Seahawks fans are grateful for is every single short QB or like midget or uh, you know short person joke that you've seen on Twitter now that used to belong to Russell Wilson. Now it's all Kyler Murray that's given because he's he's even shorter than Russ is for the most part. And I uh, I had to watch back over at the combine with Russ and shocked at how tiny he looked overall. So it's like okay, this is supposed to be optimistic you're giving a little bit of hope and you know for what it's worth russ has been able to take a ton of sacks despite you know being a bit shorter he's very stout kyler just seems to kind of at least know and avoid them and so well we'll see how it goes i'm very excited for that week four matchup um hopefully this is going to be a case where we'll have a kind of renewed rivalry with these guys over the next few years at least if just to take down the niners and seahawks together or the niners and uh, rams fans i should say together yeah, well, the first goal is to get the Rams out of the way. Uh, and, you know, speaking of teams that have got other fans filling up their stadiums, I think the Rams are the king of that, uh, even when they're good. Yeah, I was going to say, not just with St. Louis, and I know that was where the, uh, I think the Cardinals and Rams, we joked, were the only two teams who were ever had to get kicked out of St. Louis because they were so bad. <laughs> Ended up over and uh, had to go to the West Coast now. So anyway, that'll wrap it up at least for this edition of the podcast. Uh, obviously, I know we'll be uh, talking about uh, maybe getting in touch as the games continue a little bit closer, but why don't you at least uh, give yourself a shout out and let the Fans who'd like to follow you, I know this is normally a Cardinals-related one, but if they want to follow you on Twitter and get some more insight on the Seahawks, where can they find you at, Mookie? Well, Cardinals fans, you can heckle me on Twitter at Mookie Alexander. <laughs> and then, of course, all my work uh, for the Seahawks is on fieldgoals.com. And uh, if the Cardinals do end up losing to the Seahawks both times, then uh, on both occasions, Revenge of the Birds is going to be on my enemy reaction series, which uh, <laughs> takes a look back at uh, how the other team, uh, other, other teams' fans melted down as they steadily lost to Seattle. Whew, I was going to say, you probably had a lot of, there's probably a lot of good ones we had for Cardinals fans last year, just because, you know, people, well, although I should say most fans probably turned the game off after the first quarter was done. So that was the 20, uh, 2018 season for you. Here's hoping that 2019 will be a little bit better. And here's hoping that the Cardinals learned from trying to run the ball so much last year and maybe hoping that Seahawks didn't a bit, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a rookie. I'm, I, I think we're expecting maybe at most about six. And then if Kyler exceeds, it ends up having maybe a rust rookie type year and the defense impresses, maybe you could start talking about, you know, the eight or nine type, but 
for the most part, at least, we're just going to be content to have a much uh, more entertaining season than last year, just because, as we know, it can always get worse. So thanks again for joining in, everyone. Um, I'll be sure back to talk to you guys later in the week with more podcasts. Uh, you can make sure you can listen on SB uh, Nation's Revenge of the Birds, as well as on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, if you do want to end up heckling Mookie or just remind him that the best way to beat the Seahawks if you're an NFL team is to dress your team in Arizona Cardinals jerseys, <laughs> make sure that you're following him as well. Thanks again for joining everyone, and have a good one.